the Chet Topic Podcast Network. Welcome to Sports Course, a podcast where Chicago sports broadcasting pioneer and a national legal expert get into the legal goings of sports. And now your hosts, Chet Kovic and Lester Munson. All right, welcome once again, sport fans. It's uh, Chet Kopic along with uh, ESPN legal expert Lester Munson. We have a bundle of topicality today for you, but we, we have to begin, Lester, with uh, Michael Crabtree, the wide receiver from Texas Tech, signing with uh, Mike Singletary in the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, down the stretch, apparently, Deion Sanders, uh, not exactly a shrinking violet, got involved in negotiations. M.C. Hammer, who hasn't been relevant since... Uh, uh, Bill Clinton's first term got involved <laughs> in the negotiations. This tells me the obvious. This guy is going to have a rat pack that's going to be so big, he'll be broke by the second year of his contract. I don't see how he keeps a nickel of his bonus. Uh, those Imagine who else is there that we don't even know about. If he found MC Hammer, imagine whom he found along the way. I would love to be there, Chet, when Mike Singletary talks to Deion Sa- Sanders and MC Hammer and tells them they're not going to be along his sideline. Why would anybody possibly want M.C. Hammer, a guy who blew more dough in 10 seconds than anybody in the history of the Western Hemisphere, possibly want the advice? Why would you want the advice of M.C. Hammer? Obviously, Michael Crabtree did not Google M.C. Hammer and find out what had happened in the world of M.C. Hammer. The moment that M.C. Hammer tells Michael Crabtree it's time to invest in a racehorse, that's when we know Crabtree is finished. Uh, my good friend, uh, take a long look at the Ricketts family. Uh, the rubber stamp approval was uh, a natural from Major League Baseball. They will take over a franchise that you and I both know well, the franchise that has gone a mere 101 years without a World Series championship. Here's my question for you about Tom Ricketts and company buying this ball club. Lester, there are so many back-loaded contracts on that club with Zambrano, uh, Soriano. We can go on and on. How much financial flexibility has the Ricketts family really got to up the payroll? I, I say none right now, basically. It really depends on how much of their own cash the Ricketts family is willing to invest above and beyond what they've already put into the team. They had to go out and borrow some money because of Sam Zell and avoiding the taxes. They, they may have some cash left. They are very wealthy. They are authentic, certified billionaires. They may have some cash. They will have to make a decision, though, whether they want to invest that in some additional players for the roster or they just want to stay and take their lumps on the Soriano, the Zambrano, and some of those other contracts. Lester, I had insomnia all last night uh, trying to uh, really you know, get to the crux of this one. Uh, think about Sam Zell. What's your favorite moment of the Sam Zell era with the Chicago Cubs? <laughs> And, and you only have two hours. <laughs> this is one of the sad stories. You know, I've lived in Chicago all my life. I think the first printed material I ever read was the Chicago Tribune. I read the sports. I read the comics. I've been doing it all my life. And what he has done to the Tribune uh, and to some extent to the Cubs really is a felony on some level. I, I'm very unhappy with the way things are going. Colonel McCormick and Arch Ward must be spinning in their graves when they see what has happened to one of the great enterprises of the Midwest. Very intriguing stuff. Take me a step further. Uh, When we start talking about felonious activity with the Chicago Tribune, where has Lester Munson taken us? Well, there's some things going on in the bankruptcy, Chet, that involve tax avoidance and conveyances, that is, transfer of assets as Zell was taking over the Tribune. 
the creditors are now attacking Zell's deal. They are saying there is what lawyers call a fraudulent conveyance, which means there was some misrepresentation in the course of Zell taking over the Tribune. He loaded it up with debt. He put him into bankruptcy. That was not part of his plan. And because of the bankruptcy, he will now be scrutinized in a way he has never been scrutinized in his whole career of coming in and taking over struggling companies and trying to make a nickel with them. All right, uh, one game, winner take all. Who's done a more miserable job? Sam Zell with the Chicago Tribune or Mayor Daly with the Olympic bid? (laughs) Boy, you know, I I was in Minneapolis when that uh, vote was announced on the first ballot, and my assumption was the guy on CNN just got it all wrong. He didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know how to report the story. This couldn't possibly be the case. As it turns out, uh, I think Mayor Daley underestimated how dysfunctional the United States Olympic Committee is. He underestimated Rio and its strategic moves in knocking Chicago mm-hmm. out on the first ballot. And he probably overestimated the importance of the merits of the bid. Did Chicago have a good bid put together? Yes, it did. But that's not what counts with the International Olympic Committee. There's all sorts of other maneuvering going on above and beyond where the opening ceremonies are going to be, where the track is going to be, where the whitewater canoeing is going to be. So the the merits of the bid were way too much of a focus for Daly. Do you have the same feeling Mm -hmm. I do that um, Oprah in Copenhagen may have knocked people out in Hoboken or in uh, Terre Haute but meant nothing to the IOC? And Michael Jordan being in Copenhagen would have meant nothing to the IOC. I I think that Oprah obviously had no effect on the IOC. Some of the IOC people do go back to the years of the Dream Team and Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. But what do they think about that? What they remember about that is Jordan was corporate. He was covering up their sponsor's logo. Covering up the Reebok logo. To advertise his own Nike logo. And how did that sit with the IOC? I don't think Michael Jordan would be a popular guy with the IOC. Lester, I want to read uh, from uh, ESPN.com, one of my favorite writers, uh, Rick Riley one of your uh, uh, tag team partners, uh, he's writing about uh, nudity in locker rooms, which is something I've had to deal with now for the better part of my life. Uh, Rick writes, I've spent more time around naked men than uh, Jenna Jameson and the American Proctology Association combined. <laughs> I, never thought, I never thought I'd... Uh, I'd spend most of my time interviewing naked men with more hair than a supercuts dumpster. In my opinion, Wiley has summarized what the locker room experience is all about. Uh, Of those of us who are stuck in this particular niche of the world of journalism, yes, he has. Uh, It's amazing that somebody still even thinks about that. I mean, at a certain point, you you don't even notice it anymore, but obviously, Wiley... Uh, somebody sent him back into a locker room probably for the first time in 10 years. And so he, he's been doing golf. You know, there, there's no locker room there. They're out in the tent watching the event on television like the rest of us. <laughs> so now he had to go into a locker room and interview somebody, and we see the old Rick Riley. I mean, it, it seems like it seems like yesterday that women were finally admitted into locker rooms. And I can recall a time when Tony Gennetti, you know, longtime baseball, right. basketball writer at the Sun-Times, was was telling me horror stories about having you know wet jocks thrown at her you know at, at a time when we were nowhere close to being politically correct. Now you see a babe in a locker room. It's like well, okay, it's business as usual. 
Even though, what was it, 18, 19 years ago, we had the episode with the New England Patriots, Zeke Mowat decided he didn't want to have women in the locker room, even though they'd been there on a regular basis by that time for five or six years. So every now and then, uh, something comes along and raises the issue. Ben Roethlisberger, big-time player, two-time Super Bowl champion, quarterback, Pittsburgh Steelers, one of the faces of the National Football League. Judge in Reno says, no, I will not throw out the assault charge that you are facing right now. Where is this today, Lester? Is Team Roethlisberger trying to buy up the babe, and, and where are things going? Uh, ben Roethlisberger's lawyer is a guy named David Cornwell. He's a formidable lawyer. He has represented Reggie Bush. He has represented Lee Steinberg. He tried to get the job running the NFL Players Association. He's a very good lawyer and a very good guy, and he and Roethlisberger tried to end this case fast. They threw everything at this woman that they could find. They dug into her emails. They they found all sorts of things that they thought would end this case, and the judge would not do it. So Roethlisberger has given her his best shots. She and her case and her lawyer have survived all that, and now this is going to go on for a while. It's going to become, I think, a real distraction and a nuisance for Roethlisberger as it moves forward. Does Roethlisberger potentially face a greater deal of embarrassment than Bryant had in Colorado? I'm not so sure about that. He's He's got some embarrassment. He's going to have to face a deposition. It'll be on videotape. It'll flash all around the world. Uh, Kobe Bryant, keep in mind, was facing a 20-year jail term mm-hmm. if he was convicted. Once Kobe Bryant managed to somehow duck that case, he faced the civil case, and he settled it immediately. He paid her millions of dollars to go away, and that's something Roethlisberger is steadfastly refusing to do. He won't pay this woman a nickel to try to get rid of it. You know what uh, really, in my opinion, just uh, amplifies the perversity of the NBA? Is I remember hearing stories about Bryant complaining about the private jet the Lakers provided him to fly back and forth from L.A. to Colorado. I mean, first of all, you should be flying coach commercial. But the ball club's providing you with a private jet, and you're complaining. I can remember sitting in that airport in Eagle, Colorado. Uh, I was waiting to meet somebody. I was still working at Sports Illustrated at the time. We had a photographer coming in. And here comes Bryant on the private jet. And I saw the plane he was on. I don't think I would have made any objection to that plane. Um, and then they wait for him. They have all these cars, these giant Suburbans, like he's the vice president of the United States in some sort of convoy, caravan, motorcade. They take him down to the courthouse, a trip of about eight minutes. And I guess they were worried somebody in Eagle, 8,000 feet up, was going to take a shot at him. Literally, you would have thought some chief of state uh, was in town. It was really, uh, among the many things to criticize Kobe Bryant for, that was one of them that stuck with me. All right, uh, Barry Bonds, the long legal process. Uh, We can talk about Conti. We can talk about Balco. You have been of the opinion now for, I would say, maybe a year and change that Bonds, it's, it's now looking to be something of a lack that Bonds is off the hook. He may be able to walk. There's no question about it. Everybody knows that he lied to the grand jury. There's no question about that. But for the government to prove that, they really do need some testimony from Greg Anderson, who will not 
testify. He already did 19 months in jail Mm -hmm. to avoid testifying. He remains a loyal friend or employee or both of Barry Bonds. And as long as he's not going to testify, the government has problems. Right now, it's in the higher court, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, known as the Ninth Circus among (laughs) lawyers and judges. It's a wacky place. There are three judges who are deciding, can the government prove its case without Greg Anderson? That opinion could come down sometime in the next two or three months. My guess is that even though the government should win that case, my guess is those judges in San Francisco are going to rule for bonds and the Belco case will end with a whimper. Now, good morning. You went to Princeton. <laughs> I did. You're, you're a lawyer, and we know you're embarrassed, but you got over it. But <laughs> I'm a if, recovering lawyer. If Bonds, if Bonds walks after lying to the grand jury, and you know he's been using HGH, and you know he's been using rhesus monkey steroids, right. how badly has the judicial process been clobbered if Bonds walks? Uh, that would be a huge embarrassment for the judicial process. It would be a terrible humiliation for the Department of Justice under both President Bush and President Obama. Obama, when he came into office, had a chance to dump this case. He knew that Bonds was guilty. He didn't do it, and so he has pursued it. If it ends the way it probably will end. It will be a terrible embarrassment for President Bush, President Obama, for four different attorneys general of the United States, and for a couple of prosecutors in San Francisco. Hey, Lester, earlier uh, you mentioned the name of uh, Reggie Bush, now with the New Orleans Saints, former uh, prolific All-American running back with uh, Pete Carroll in USC. Uh, there was this time when the uh, Bush family was living, shall we say, rather large and rather extravagantly, and USC was going to be... Uh, uh, pulled apart like a rag doll. Uh, just between you and I, Lester, uh, uh, what's going on? Did, <laughs> this did, is the, another did ca- the prosecutors give up again? <laughs> no, this is a case in which the people who were involved with Reggie Bush claimed that he has ripped them off for hundreds of thousands of dollars. They paid him, they paid his family, and they were supposed to become his marketing agent. That That case continues on. It is being stalled brilliantly by Reggie Bush and by his lawyer, the aforementioned David Cornwell. They are stalling, stalling, I, I gotta meet this guy. Delaying. I wouldn't be paying a dime of alimony if I had <laughs> David Cornwell. <laughs> David Cornwell is a great lawyer, and he's a great guy. You'd like him. So, kind of interesting. You know, I, I hear people uh, bum rap, Brett Favre. And reading from uh, ChicagoBusiness.com slash Ed Sherman, a good friend, uh, former Chicago Tribune writer, Ed Sherman, uh, headline, Overdosing on uh, Brett Favre. The Green Bay-Minnesota game, which was, you know, the game uh, of this early season. 21.8 million households. That doesn't include sports bars, which means you probably had 45 to 50 million people watching the ball game. It's the highest rated telecast in the history of cable television. Lester, if somebody asked me what Brett Favre is worth in terms of uh, overall cash value, to the National Football League, I would put it minimally at $75 million. I think you're probably right. Those numbers for that game really did surprise me. I know it was dramatic. I know he's playing the Packers. Um, He did put on a sterling and amazing performance, but that is a colossal audience for uh, a cable television broadcast, and presumably he will be able to do it again. Whatever they're paying him, it's not enough. I mean, you would have to run... um you would have to run House Husbands of Hollywood 
634 <laughs> times to get 21.8 million viewers. You would. You would. And, and incredibly, they're playing in that Metrodome, the place that everybody hates. They have this fantastic football game. Then they follow up the next day with an epic baseball game, the, the 163rd game. The Twins managed to win that. I mean, I, I think maybe they should reconsider on the Metrodome. They want to keep that Humphrey Dome. You know, um, kind of interesting. I, I want to go back to uh, to the Ricketts family for a moment because I left out one salient point. They they are brand new owners, and this this has dragged on. Um, Crane County apparently is going to be retained, which I think is a mistake. But maybe in the name of continuity, given the fact that it's your first year, you keep him. Henry, I I basically have no problems with. Lester, I think they have to sign a ball player, if only to show a very disgusted Cub audience. That they're for real, because if they don't, I mean, you know, if they sign a ball player, they'll draw three point two million in twenty ten. If they don't sign a premium free agent, <laughs> they'll only draw three point one nine million. <laughs> right. I suspect they will sign a player. They may sign a couple of players. They need a hitter. They need a couple other things. And it, here it is. It's their first season as the owner. If they have the money, which I think they do, they're going to want to do something to make an impact and to let the rest of the players know there's a new owner here. We're going to support you. We're going to sign this guy now. And if we need somebody in July, we're going to do that too. If they can just send out that signal, it'll be a totally different season from what we just finished. This ballpark, as you know, uh, Wrigley Field, screaming for uh, a massive, full-blown renovation. Would MLB consider, and this is Kopic off the top of his head, allowing the Cubs to play 40 games at Miller Park where I think they would draw very, very well. And 40 games at state-owned U.S. Cellular Field. Would that be viable? Would the Cubs buy it? Would Major League Baseball allow it? I think if the Cubs wanted to do it, and Ricketts thought it was a good idea, and he went to the commissioner, chances are Major League Baseball would approve it. I'm not sure it would work as well as you suggest. Yes, they would draw in Miller Park. Uh, I, as a Cub fan, have no interest in being in the cell, but that's just me. I don't know how many, what percentage of Cub fans uh, feel that way. Well, but the, the average I Cub fan is ticked off already games. because there's no Bourbon Street atmosphere around the cell. That's right. Yeah. So, so you you have to arrive. You have to arrive on time. You can't arrive fashionably late in the fourth inning. <laughs> <laughs> a different culture entirely. A different. But I, I do think you know that the the Ricketts family. I mean, first of all, in my opinion, they got the ball club on the cheap because of the recessionary. Uh, Environment we're in. I, I thought the club, with uh, with the ballpark and with the deal uh, with Comcast, was worth about 1.4 million. How badly, in your opinion, did the recession knock the price down to around 850? I think the recession easily saved the Ricketts family two or three hundred million dollars. I don't wow. have any doubt about that. And wow. I believe Zell's predicament where his leverage was going down, 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 that probably saved him another $100 million. So they definitely got a bargain. If you can buy Wrigley Field, a share of Comcast Sports Network, and the Cubs, and pay less than $900 million, you're already ahead. It's already worth $1.2 billion. And the money they saved, let's hope, I as a Cub fan, let's hope they're going to invest that in some improvements on the roster. In the great scheme of, uh, of fumbling... On the local level, where does Zell's purchase of the Tribune and its assets, most notably the Chicago Cubs, in, in, in the great scheme of fumbling in a city where we have seen colossal fumbles, where would you rate Zell's? 
I think it's, it's a it's a mistake and a fumble of biblical proportion. I have no doubt about it. Even he, Zell, admits that this deal has not worked. He thought he could eliminate the decline in advertising. He could keep the numbers at least stable, if not moving up. Instead, things got worse. It pushed him into bankruptcy, a place he never planned to be, a place where he is now being double scrutinized, both by uh, creditors and by bondholders. He's got all sorts of problems that he never expected to have. Is there anything Zell can do right now to right a sinking ship, or is is Zell headed toward a bankruptcy of biblical proportions? He probably can get the Tribune out of bankruptcy. I'm not sure what kind of shape it's going to be in, but he himself is personally protected. He's a very smart guy. He knows how to do that. But whether the Tribune is going to be viable, uh, is not. that's still an open question, and I'm not sure what's going to happen there. You know, Lester, it seems to me that uh, uh, the fallout from uh, uh, Chicago and the, uh, the swing and a miss of, once again, biblical proportions in yeah. Denmark... And you want to know when I knew that this was not about the pentathlon or about equestrian or about uh, the 100 meters, when I was watching Channel 2 News the night before the uh, the bidding process, and I saw Ed Burke. That's when it finally <laughs> dawned on me. That's when it finally dawned on me that that maybe certain insiders are going to wind up with a couple of bucks out of this deal. But from from the standpoint, if 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 you were Mayor Daly, you've got to save your image. You have an election in 2011. I'm, I'm of the opinion, if there is a second Caucasian candidate and a strong minority candidate, that you could be vulnerable in a primary. If you're a daily right now, what do you do to, 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 to rebuild an image that has been clobbered by hiring trucks, by, by, by hired trucks, by parking meters, by, by lousy schools, by Fenger High School, and now by this complete collapse where, hello, the private sector gave you 50 million bucks that they aren't going to see, for God's sakes. Where do you start rebuilding your image? He needs another monumental project. There's nothing quite like the Olympics. He's got to find something. I know else he can do. tear down Meg's field again. <laughs> he, he could do that. I, my guess is he's going to start looking at different ways to finance city government. I kind of see a casino somewhere on the horizon. Absolutely. Sheraton Hotel there on the river, just mm-hmm. uh, east uh, of where Michigan John Avenue. restaurant is. Yes, a perfect place. Um, I think he's going to have to do something like that, a, a terrible mistake, but that's what he's going to have to do to try to save himself in 2011. As a resident of Chicago who would live reasonably close to that casino, as would I, do you want a casino in downtown Chicago? I don't want a casino anywhere. I, I don't want the casinos we already have. I certainly don't want one in downtown Chicago. That We've seen what that did for Detroit, nothing. It made everything worse. We don't need it in Chicago. You know, that Lester, in closing, that is such a great con. I hear this all the time. You know, people will go up for a White Sox-Tigers game or a Bear Line game, and they'll talk about, well, you know, Detroit is, is so renovated. Gee, they have a gambling casino. The gambling casino hasn't done a thing for their economy. No. If anything, the downtown is worse than it was before they opened those casinos. It is, it's very discouraging to see what happened there. And I, I would just say if they did it in Detroit, we don't want to try it here. I mean, basically, you're saying this. It looks like Iwo Jima after the Enola Gay. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It really does. He is Lester Munson. I'm Chet Kopic. You can catch us, of course, 24 hours a day. And we will be back in seven days with more Sports Court featuring ESPN's uh, top-of-the-line America's premier sports legal analyst, Lester Munson, along with yours truly, Chet Kopic. We thank our uh, technical advisor, Dan Levy. 
Have a good day. We'll be back. So long, everybody.